You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. So uh, today we are in Psalm 36. Let me uh, jump into it like this. Um, I'm often asked the question, what are we about as a church? And my answer is always very simple. It's two things uh, that summarize it for us. Um, we enjoy Jesus and we make disciples. That's, that's what we do. That's what we're about. We enjoy Jesus and we make disciples. And as we start uh, 2020, this new year and this new decade, um, I think it would be a good thing for us to linger over that first phrase and give a morning to working that phrase out. We enjoy Jesus. That's what we're about. We, we are Jesus enjoyers. So, so what does that mean? I want to think that through with you today. You know, when, when people think about life with Jesus, life with God, what God's after, what, God's, uh, what he offers, many people carry a misconception. Uh, many people have been seduced into believing um, something like this. It's either Jesus or joy. That's the misconception many of us have when we come to the scriptures, when we come to God. We're thinking that this is God's paradigm for how he sees the world, how he sees life um, with him, is it's either Jesus or joy. So pick one, but you don't get both. It's either Jesus or joy. Far too many people have bought into this way of seeing that it's either follow Jesus and forsake your joy, or it's follow joy and forsake Jesus. That that's the paradigm through which many people come to Jesus uh, through. Uh, that, that's the paradigm. I spent about eight years doing student ministry and I still have flashbacks of seventh graders on sugar highs. So pray for me. Um, but one thing I found out in, in almost eight years of student ministry is that deep down virtually every student had bought into that paradigm. That it's either Jesus or joy. That, that either we're going to, to follow Jesus, forsaking our joy, or we're going to go and try to grab the joy. But, but in doing that, we're going to have to forsake Jesus to, to go about doing it. And, uh, you know, when I, when I would wake up and, and think about, okay, so what is my job as a student minister, as a, peop, as a person walking beside students who have bought into that myth? What, what is my job? How, how can I frame the job of, of walking beside teenagers in, in this particular role, pastoring and, and, and ministering the gospel to them? I, I resonated so deeply with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.24 when he's looking at the Corinthians church and he's saying, here's what I'm doing. I am working with you. I am laboring beside you for your joy. That's what I'm doing. Laboring beside you for your joy. So I felt like every day my job was to wake up pleading, persuading, asking the Holy Spirit to convince teenagers then and now this church, but to convince them back then and now us that it's not a Jesus or joy issue. That, that is not the way the Bible uh, breaks this thing down. It's not Jesus or joy. The, the way the scriptures see it is like this. It's Jesus as our joy. That, that's, that's the paradigm the Bible presents us. Think about, think about life with Jesus. Following Jesus, the Bible is so clear on this. Following Jesus will cost you many things in life. There are many things you will lose when you follow Jesus. But the Bible is very clear about this. Joy is not one of them. It's not one of them. So today I want to consider these three verses out of Psalms 36, verses 7 through 9. I just want to think about these verses with you. 
uh, meditate on them for a few minutes with you. Just, just think them through with you. And he, here's what the psalmist says in verse 7 of Psalm 36. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. How, how precious is your love toward us. The children of mankind, that's, that's a way of talking about humanity as a whole. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And then look at verse 8. They, the children of mankind, they feast. They, they, they feast. They don't, it's not just eat. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you, God, you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Now, it's interesting when you look at these three verses, there are no commands in these three verses. So, so God is not looking at us here and saying, um, in these verses saying, um, here's the command, now obey. That, that's not what is inside of these three verses. Inside of these three verses are not commands to obey, but invitations for you and I to explore. This is an invitation from God to come and explore. What does he mean here? But what does it mean to drink from the river of his delight and to, to feast on the abundance of his house? What, what, what does that mean? And, and here are the two invitations embedded into this text. There's two. Invitation one is this. Come and get your joy. That, that's one of the invitations of this text. Come and get your joy. In Ecclesiastes chapter uh, three, the, the, the scriptures say that, that God has put eternity into our hearts. He's put eternity into our hearts. Now, that's telling us something about how we're made as human beings, how, how God has hardwired us to work. And part of what it's communicating to us in Ecclesiastes 3 is that we are made with longings that are too deep for temporal things to satisfy. You're made like that. I'm made like that. We are made by God with longings that are, are just too big and too deep for temporal things to, to, to satisfy. Um, think, think of your body as a parable. Um, when you wake up in the morning, you're hungry. And just like your body hungers for food, God has created your soul to hunger after things. To, to long for things. He's put an ache deep down in your soul uh, to, to hunger. And just like you, you wake up and you're thirsty, God has made your soul in such a way where deep down your heart thirsts for things. It, it longs for things. God's created our souls to ache with an ache, with a hunger, with a thirst. And that ache and that hunger and that thirst in us makes us all joy hunters, pleasure pursuers satisfaction seekers. This is a universal thing about humanity. This is how we're all hardwired by God. We are a joy-motivated people, a joy-motivated people. And let me just give you a few, it's taking a little bit of a tour through church history. Let me give you a couple of thoughts on this from some of the, uh, the followers of Jesus who have gone before us. So let me start with Augustine. He's probably the most influential theologian in church history, uh, 1600 years ago, he wrote this from North Africa. He said, every man, whatsoever his condition, desires to be happy. God has put that ache in us all, a desire for joy and happiness. 
There is no man who does not desire this, and each one desires it with such earnestness that he prefers it to all other things. Whoever, in fact, desires other things desires them for this end alone. He's saying this ache is down at the bottom of our souls. It influences and matters in every moment of our life. Uh, Thomas Boston was an old Puritan pastor. A few centuries ago, he said it like this. Consider what man is. He is a creature that desires happiness. You do, I do. We, we desire happiness, joy. And, and we cannot but desire it, he says. The desire of happiness is woven into his nature. It's woven by God into his nature and cannot be eradicated. It is as natural for him to desire it as it is to breathe. Or J.C. Ryle, the Anglican bishop, the 1800s, he wrote this. Happiness is what all mankind wants to obtain. The desire for it is deeply planted in the human heart. It, it's hardwired into our heart by God. Or Jonathan Edwards, maybe America's best theologian, he said it this way. There is no man upon the earth who isn't earnestly seeking after happiness. And it appears abundantly by the variety of ways they so vigorously seek it. They will twist and turn every way, ply all instruments to make themselves happy men. Now, what we've just heard from those people throughout church history squares with the scriptures. They're saying that because they're looking at the Bible and then applying it to human hearts. We are a joy-motivated people. On a motivational level, we do what we do based on what we believe will deliver the greatest happiness and joy. This is how you operate. It's how I operate. Uh, Sam Storms, a pastor friend of mine, he says it this way, that this, this joy-motivated impulse in us, it is, is much of a law of human nature shaped and fashioned in the image of God as gravity is a law of physics. In other words, you cannot escape this. You can't escape it. I can't escape it. We are a joy-motivated people. Whatever we believe will give us the biggest bang of joy and happiness. That's what motivates us. That's what gets us up out of bed. That's what gets us doing in our life. We are hardwired joy hunters. So contrary to popular belief, Jesus is not against our joy. Rather, he has hardwired us for joy. And when you read the scriptures, if anything, what you're going to find in the Bible is the Bible over and over again rebuking us for being half-hearted pursuers of joy. In some ways, you could, um, you could think about that as the human problem. We're hardwired for joy, but we just don't pursue it hard enough. Uh, listen to C.S. Lewis describe this. Uh, this paragraph is one of my favorite paragraphs. Uh, listen to what he says. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels. So if you just read the New Testament, here's what you're gonna find. Over and over again, God offering reward, God offering promises of reward. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, you see it throughout the Sermon on the Mount. So, so he says, if we consider these unblushing promises, he goes on, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. 
like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He goes on to say this, we are far too easily pleased. Now that's the human problem. Our problem is that our hearts are prone to drift away from God to less satisfying things. So the scriptures come along and they gently rebuke us. They rebuke us for being too easily pleased. Uh, They rebuke us for settling, uh, for fooling about with little shots of pleasure. The, the, The shot of pleasure in food or sex or fame or money or possessions or marriage or kids or you just fill in the blank. And listen, all of those are good gifts from God. They're they're amazing gifts from God. Uh, But none of them were designed to deliver the joy and happiness that our hearts crave. They just don't have the capacity to to give that. God did not load them with the capacity uh, to deliver on our heart cravings. So the Bible implores us, uh, don't stop at God's gifts. Don't stop with that little shot of pleasure. No, no, keep pressing on. Go, go all the way to the source. The Bible invites us to come and get our joy in Jesus. That's the invitation of the Psalms. Come and get your joy in Jesus. The Bible breaks through the myth that our options are Jesus or joy. That is not the invitation of the Bible. The Bible's invitation is no, come and get all of your joy. Come and get it all and come and get it all in Jesus. That's the invitation of the scripture. So let's listen to Psalm 36 again, verse seven. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And I love the imagery in the Psalms of of God being a refuge. Uh, That is imagery to say God is the one safe place that that we can abide in. He's our refuge. He's the one safe place for us. But God isn't just our safe place. God is also satisfying. Look at the poetic imagery used in verse 8. It says they, talking about people just like you and me, children of man. They, they feast on. They don't just eat. They don't just nibble, that they feast on the abundance of your house. And you, God, this is the kind of God that we have. You, God, you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. Now, that's amazing. Okay, now think about the metaphor. He's using poetic language here. So it's it's a metaphor. And think about the metaphor. God is the abundant food that we feast on in the house. God is the water flowing in the river that he calls the river of delight. So God is the food, God is the water in the river of delight. And here's the invitation of this Psalm. It's God saying, now now come and eat of the feast. Come and partake, come and, 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 and glut yourself on me. Come and, and drink at the river of my delights. Come and, and eat and drink until you can't stuff another single ounce of joy in your heart. Come and have your fill of me. Come and get your joy and get it all in me. That's the invitation of Psalm 36. And it's not just in Psalm 36. Here's Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. 
And the psalmist looks up at God and says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Like, like the joy my heart really craves, in your presence, that's where fullness of joy is. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Is that not amazing that that's how God presents himself in the scriptures? In your presence, fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the invitation of the scriptures to come and taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good and satisfying or take Isaiah chapter 55 verses one and two. Listen to this amazing invitation the Lord gives us. Come everyone who thirsts. We're all thirsty. We're all hungering. And he says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves, delight yourselves in rich food. That's an invitation from God to his people. It's God saying, I am the rich food. I am the wine. So come and delight yourself in me, the wine and me, the rich food. Come and have your fill. Or this is Jesus in John chapter six, verse 35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I, I am the bread of life. I am the I am the meal that you really need. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Isn't that an amazing invitation the Bible offers? You know, it's a funny thing. The Bible, as you read it, the Bible is going to paint a multidimensional picture of God. A multidimensional picture. And so if you just, let's just say you're reading through the scriptures, here, here are the sort of things you're going you're gonna to find about Jesus. Uh, you're going to find that the Bible presents Jesus as a savior. And as it presents Jesus as a savior, um, it, it calls us to do something. It calls us to receive him as a savior. So, so it paints Jesus as a savior to be received. It also presents Jesus as a king, as a Lord, as a master to be obeyed. But I wonder if you, have, if you think about Jesus like this. Do you ever think about uh, the Bible painting Jesus as a person? And as a person, that the Bible calls us then to enjoy him. Do you think of Jesus as a person to be enjoyed? Because this is how the Bible presents him to us. This is one way. He is a person to be enjoyed. Years ago, um, I read through a book by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. And I came across one sentence in that book that I've never for forgotten. He says, knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a person's heart. Knowing God is a relationship calculated. Here's what it's designed to do by God. Knowing God is a relationship designed, calculated to thrill a person's heart to enliven, to, to impart joy to a person's heart. That, that is what knowing God is meant to do because God is a person meant to be enjoyed. 
So think about all of God's gifts, food, kids, marriage, intimacy, success, money. All of these things are are good gifts. But in the Bible, all of those good gifts are seen as appetizers of joy. But, But the scriptures over and over again present God as the main course as the main course for us to to come toward and enjoy, to to feast upon. So so this is the Bible's invitation. Come and drink forever from the river of my delight. Uh, Come and feast forever upon the abundance of my house. Uh, Come and take the bread that satisfies forever. That, That is the invitation of the Bible toward us. The Bible does not present a God who is against your joy, who just is walking around asking the question, how can I make them miserable? That is not the God of the scriptures. The God of the Bible is the happiest being in the universe. And that being, the happiest being in the universe, then looks at his people and says, I want to share my joy with you. So God then welcomes us into his heart, and then he invites us to explore every joy-packed corner of it. That's the God of the scriptures. So then the question becomes, well, how do we do that? How do we delight daily in Jesus? How do we go about enjoying Jesus? How do we, how do we drink from the river of his delight? How do we feast upon the abundance of his house? How do, we, how do we take the bread and enjoy the bread that is Jesus? How do we do that? How do we delight daily? How, how do we enjoy Jesus? Now, that question introduces us to, to what throughout church history has been called the spiritual disciplines. That's just another way of saying that there's spiritual habits. And these spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits have been used by people throughout church history to enjoy Jesus. They've been used by people throughout church history to delight daily in the person of Jesus, to to feast upon the rich fare, to to drink the the wine that is Jesus, these these, uh, spiritual disciplines. I just want to work through two of them this morning as we finish up today. I want to work through two spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits that are necessary if we want to be people who in an ongoing way are enjoying Jesus, delighting daily in Jesus. What are two ways we can do that? Number one, first way. We we delight daily in Jesus through the word. We delight daily in Jesus through the word. Uh, It's an amazing thing that the Psalms start out like this. This is the first Psalm and the first verse of the Psalm. Blessed is the man. Now, blessed is another word for happy. Joy laden, blessed is the man. And here is what this man is about. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. Blessed is this man, happy is this man. His heart is full of of Jesus enjoyment who his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates day and night upon the law of the Lord. Part of what Psalm 1 shows us is that the Bible is a joy-producing book. It is a joy-producing book. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. And then listen to what it says the law of the Lord does. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Reviving the soul. I doubt if anyone's problem when you came in this morning is that your soul was too revived. 
I just doubt that was your problem. I doubt you came in thinking, my soul is just too alive to God. I'm going to have to tamp this thing down just a little bit. I doubt that's your problem. But, but you know what I, I think most of our problems are? We came in with a deadened soul, with a soul that is numb to the glories and greatness of Jesus. We came in starved, with a deep ache in us that's longing to be satisfied. We came like that. And Psalm 19 reminds us that, that part of how we feast on Jesus is by opening up the scriptures. The Bible is a joy-producing book. Matthew chapter four, verse four, Jesus says this. Um, he's answering back at Satan and he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. We need bread, don't we? I mean, you need to eat today, probably, at least this week. You, you need food. We, we need bread. But he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How do we feast on God's abundance? We feast on God's abundance by feasting on God's word. That's how we do it. More than you need your next meal, you need the word of God. We, we feast on God's abundance by feasting on his word. The Bible is a joy-producing book. And the Bible is a joy-producing book because the Bible is a Jesus-presenting book. That's why it produces joy in us because it presents to us Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, as we're presented Jesus, has joy that just begins to, to, to erupt up and in us because of the work of the Spirit in us. The Bible is a joy-producing book because it's a Jesus-presenting book. This is what we learned last fall. As we just worked through the Old Testament, we learned that the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is telling one grand story about one great person, and his name is? Jesus, that's his name. Jesus is the whole point and purpose of the Bible. Therefore, he's the whole point and purpose of our Bible reading. Like when you open up the Bible to read it, you are not opening up the Bible primarily to acquire more information. That, that is not the purpose of Bible reading. The purpose is Jesus' enjoyment. That's why we open up the Bible to find Jesus there and to feast on him, to, to enjoy him there in his word, the, the bread of life, the, the rich food, the, the water in the river of God's delight. That is the goal of Bible reading, to encounter the living God there over his word. That's why we open up the Bible. Now, then the question becomes, well, how, how do we go about um, receiving the word? So what would it look like for us to delight daily in the word? What, what, what does that look like? Um, years ago in college, I was being discipled by a guy who uh, showed me uh, what's just referred to as the navigator's hand. The, the navigators is a group of people who take disciple making really seriously and they made this hand to help with, well, how do we delight daily in the word? So let me just roll through this with you. This hand's gonna be up on the screen for you. So uh, it's essentially a way of saying, well, th this is how you grab the word in such a way where you can feast on it, del delight in Jesus as, as you're grabbing on to the Bible. And it's giving us five ways of doing this, five ways of receiving the word. Uh, the first one, this is represented by the pinky, is to hear it, to hear it. We all need to consistently position ourselves under good gospel-soaked preaching that turns our gaze up to the person and work of Jesus. I need that so desperately. It's why every time I don't preach, I'm sitting somewhere in this auditorium receiving that. 
I, I need that. You need that. We, we all need that. If you want a reason for making Sunday mornings a priority for you, and if you have a family, your family, if you want a reason for making that a priority, here it is. We all, every one of us in this room, desperately need to sit with God's people, not on a podcast. We need to sit with God's people, not by ourselves somewhere, with God's people under God's word as it is preached and applied to our heart. You need that. I need that. If you have a family, your family needs that more than we need our next meal. We need that together with God's people under God's word as it's preached and applied to our hearts. So we need to hear it. That's one way we receive the Bible and take in the Bible. Uh, Here's the next way we do it. This is the ring finger. Uh, We hear it, then we read it. There is no substitute in the Christian life for just opening up the Bible on a consistent basis and reading the scriptures for yourself. There's no getting around it. This is one of those fundamental spiritual disciplines. And it doesn't matter if you can do a lot of other things a lot better than other people. If you don't do this, your spiritual life will wither over time. There is no substitute for opening up the Bible and reading it for yourself. And let me just give you maybe a couple of suggestions uh, to get you started in that. Uh, Under your seat, why don't you just grab this really quickly. There's a Bible reading plan that looks like this. It should be under your seat. And just grab that and take a look at it. Uh, You're welcome to take this. You can slide this in your Bible when we're finished today and that can be yours. We've put those under your seat for you to have. And I, I just think as a normative practice, it is good to get on some sort of a Bible reading plan that takes you through the Bible. Uh, this Bible reading plan takes you through all of the New Testament every year, and then it will take you through the Old Testament every three years. So every three years, you're going to get the whole Bible in you, but every year you're going to get the New Testament in you. And this reading plan is the exact same plan that is in this CBR journal, Community Bible Reading Journal. And this journal helps you as you're reading the Bible to pause over it and to think about how you can um, bring the Bible into your heart and into your life. So I just want to commend this to you. If you haven't gotten a CBR journal, we don't have a ton of them left. We're going to order some more, uh, but there's still a few left at the bookstore. If you haven't gotten one, you should buy one and just put this beside your Bible. The same Bible reading plan that is on this sheet is in this uh, community Bible reading journal. And it's just a great way for you to be able to read the scriptures and benefit from them. So we we read it. That's That's the ring finger. So we hear it, we read it. And here's the third thing we can do is to study it. That's the middle finger. So think about reading. Reading takes in the breadth of scripture. Genesis to Revelation, you're you're getting through the Bible as a whole. Study, on the other hand, drills down into the depth of scripture. That's what studying is meant to do. So while reading, you might take in a chapter or two or three or even four or five a day. You you could read like that. When you study, you're going to stop and slow down. Maybe it's over a paragraph Maybe it's over one particular sentence. Maybe it's even over one particular word. And you're going to drill down into that one particular place in the Bible, drilling down in, digging down in to find diamonds in it. That's studying. So I love how one person talked about this. He said, Bible reading is like watching a film in real time. That's Bible reading. Study, on the other hand, is slowing the film down and going frame by frame. So reading is, you're just watching the whole of the movie 
And, and you're just enjoying and taking in the whole of the movie. But when you study it, you're, you're stopping the movie and you're looking at that particular frame to ask, what do I see there? What, what do I need to notice about that one particular frame? And then you move to the next frame and you're asking, what do I need to see about that particular frame? That, that's studying. It's slowing down, asking questions, seeing how the Bible connects. Here's just a quick suggestion if you want to grow in your ability to study the Bible. We take equipping you, the people of Stonegate, very seriously in, in these sort of areas. And so part of what we do uh, multiple times a year are equipping classes. And every time we do an equip class, we do a Bible study methods class. It's just trying to teach us how to open up the scriptures and study it, how to slow down the film, take a frame and study the frame. And our next equipping class starts in, uh, on January the 21st. It'll be a four-week class, and uh, it's going to be studying through the book of James, which is the same book we're going to be preaching through uh, starting in February. So you're kind of getting a head start in studying ahead uh, of what we're going to be preaching in. But I would just commend that to you. If you haven't done that, it would be a great thing to do. And even if you have done it, it's a great thing to do. But, because it's really for two people. Uh, the Bible study methods class. It's for those who want to learn how to study the Bible. So if you need to learn, it's a great place to pick up some of those skills. But it's also for those who just, you want to study the Bible. So we do a different section of the Bible every go around, a different frame in the scriptures every go around. So you can actually apply what you've learned or already learned to this particular passage. So it's for those who want to learn how and for those who just want to take what you know and study the Bible. It's for both of those. So I would commend that to you. You can go to stonegate.church. Go to upcoming events and you can register for that equipped class, Bible study method, starting on January the, the 21st. So we hear it, we read it, we study it. Here's the fourth thing we can do to, to take the Bible in. This is the pointer finger. We memorize it. Memorizing, take, it takes small sections of the Bible and, and does what Psalm 119.11 encourages us to do, to hide the word of God in our hearts. I think unlike any other way of taking in the Bible, Memorizing scripture conforms our heart into the shape of Jesus. It is unique in all of the sort of ways that, that we take the Bible in and that it shapes us with as much precision as possible into the shape of Jesus. Uh, listen to David Mathis in his book on uh, the spiritual disciplines. Listen to how he says it. He says, good theology forms our minds in a way in a general way to think God's thoughts after him. So this is what good theology is doing. It's shaping our minds to think God's thoughts after him. But he says, memorized scripture molds our minds. It, it, when we memorize scripture, our mind is being molded to mimic the folds and the creases in the minds of God. So not in a general way, but in a very particular, specific way, memorizing scripture presses our mind into the mind of Jesus. And don't we all want that? I mean, this is what I want in my life. When I'm encountering life, I want to think and see and perceive and feel like Jesus would. And memorizing scripture is one of the ways that we do that. So let me give you just a quick suggestion with memorizing scripture. Uh, there is an app called the Fighter Verse app. I would just encourage you, it costs a couple of dollars, it'll be the best couple of dollars you spend this year to just go on the app store and find the Fighterverse app and download that app. It gives you a plan for 2020 to memorize scripture. And that same plan that it's gonna give you is at the bottom of this Bible reading uh, uh, page here. So down below, it has them by month. 
The, the same scriptures, it corresponds to the, that fighter verse app uh, are the scriptures you're gonna find at the bottom of your Bible reading plan here. So I would just commend that to you. It would just get you every week memorizing a particular text to, to fold your mind to, so that it would begin to mimic the folds and creases in the mind of God. So we memorize it. And then here comes the thumb. So we hear it, we read it, we study it, we memorize it, and then we meditate on it. Meditate is a fancy way of saying we pause over this, this, this particular sentence, this part of the Bible, we, we pause over it, we ponder it, and we pray it. That's meditating. But we pause here, we ponder it, we think it through, and then what we've thought through, we, we pray that back to God. We pause, ponder, and pray. That's meditating. And if we don't meditate on Scripture, if, if we don't stop to pause, ponder, and pray, it doesn't matter if we've just heard a sermon read some of the Bible, studied something in the Bible, memorized something in the Bible, it is going to be like a vapor that is there one moment and gone the next. Meditating is how we press the Bible down, pausing, pondering, praying. It's how we press the Bible down into our heart. It's, it's the way that we let the word of Christ dwell richly in us, like Paul says in, in Colossians chapter three. We, we do that through meditating. Now, when it comes to Bible reading, this is how we delight daily in Jesus opening up the Bible and hearing it, reading it, studying it, memorizing, meditating on it. And so it doesn't matter if you are a beginner in your life with God or you are a grizzled veteran in the room. There is no substitute for doing this. Every day on a regular basis, opening up the word and delighting in Jesus through his word, feasting on Jesus as we feast on the word. This is one way we delight daily. Here's the next way. We delight daily through his word, then we delight daily through prayer, through prayer. In the word, God is speaking to us. In prayer, we are now speaking back to God. And prayer is not primarily about getting something from God. Prayer is primarily about us getting God, about us knowing God about us exploring more of God's vast heart. I love how C.S. Lewis said it. He said, prayer in, this sense, or prayer in the sense of petition or asking for things is a small part of it. So we do ask in prayer for things from God. That, that is a biblical right thing to do, right? But he says, prayer in, in the sense of petition, asking for things is a small part of it. Confession and repentance are its threshold. Now we are coming into the, to the room of prayer. He, he says in confession and repentance. And then he says, adoration is its sanctuary. But then he goes on to say this, but the presence and vision and enjoyment of God is its bread and wine. I love that picture. Prayer is a way for us to enjoy the bread and wine of God's presence. In John 15, uh, Jesus looks at his followers and says, I no longer call you servants from now on, I'm calling you friends. That's what you are. You are a friend. And one of the ways we cultivate and enjoy our friendship with Jesus is through prayer. This is the way we cultivate and enjoy any friendship in our life, isn't it? Through ongoing conversation with another person. That's how we cultivate every relationship. And that is also true of our relationship with Jesus. Our friendship with you. This is why prayer is so important. It's one of the ways that we delight daily in God is through this ongoing conversation. So there's really, there's two ways that prayer plays itself out in our lives. One, you might think of as casual conversation. 
When the Bible in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing, this is what it has in mind. That, that every moment of our life, moment by moment, day by day, we are abiding in Jesus. We are having this ongoing, constant conversation with Jesus. We wake up and we're talking to Jesus. We're getting dressed and we're talking to Jesus. We're doing our work. We're relating to others. All the things we're doing in our life, all of that is meant to be done inside of this ongoing conversation with Jesus. Everything we do, every moment that we're doing it, we're, we're always in this, this dialogue with Jesus. We're, we're talking to Jesus. Jesus is talking to us. That's, that's the normative life that a Christian is living. It's this ongoing, casual conversation. Yesterday, I was out for a jog. And other than trying to survive, um, the purpose of that jog was just to have an ongoing conversation with Jesus. I'm out jogging. What better, what better time than to talk to the Lord? So I'm just asking the Lord as I'm jogging, uh, who, who are two or three people that I can encourage today? And then the Lord talks back. Here's a couple of names. And then I'm, I asked the Lord, what, what would be some particular ways that would be meaningful that, that I could encourage this person, then that person, then that person? And then the Lord talks back. Uh, here's a way for him and here's a way for that one. And it's just an ongoing conversation. I, I, I'm talking to um, one of our church planters at the end of the month, just gonna spend some time with him and his church. And so I'm just out for the jog asking, God, what would be a way that I could encourage this particular church planter, their church? So I'm talking to God and then God is talking back to me, give, giving a few ways to be able to encourage that church planter and that church. But this is the way life with God is meant to be lived. This is how we delight daily in God. Prayer is first and foremost a posture. It's an orientation of life that, 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 that sees and talks to and listens for God moment by moment in our life. This is casual conversation. This is delighting daily in Jesus. But it's not just casual conversation. Prayer is also meant to have concentrated conversation. This is time that we set aside to talk to God. It's, it's Jesus in Matthew 6, 6 saying, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret because your father sees what's done in secret and your father will reward you. And do you know what the reward of praying in secret is? More of, jo of God's joy-packed heart. That's what we get when we go to God in prayer. And so it's not just casual conversation. There's also concentrated conversation where you're setting aside time to talk to the Lord and to listen to him. But that concentrated conversation is also meant to be a communal practice. Communal, like we're meant to do that with others. Like Christians get together with other Christians to set aside time to pray to their God. It's meant to be a communal practice, pr praying to God in concentrated conversation. If you just read the book of Acts, here's one of the things you'll notice if you read the book of Acts and just pay attention to how prayer happens. It is happening all the time where Christians are getting together in this house, that house, in, this, in jail for that matter. And, and together they are setting aside time to pray to God. A communal conversation, concentrated conversation done in community. One of the sweetest parts of 2019 for me, if I had to go back and give one particular memory, this is one of the sweetest memories of the last year. Uh, back in the fall, uh, some of our elders gathered with a home group uh, in our church. And that particular group had all sorts of suffering happening in it. Hard suffering. I mean, really hard. And so we just got together for an hour with that group and we just prayed and we pled with God together. 
And I left there with a heart so full. I mean, there are few things sweeter than gathering with a group of people who are desperate for God to do something and just praying to the Lord with them. That there are a few things sweeter than that. So I just want to implore you that this year, yes, have concentrated conversation. This is how we delight daily in Jesus is casual and concentrated conversation, but do some of that concentrated conversation with God in community with other people. This is how we delight daily through word and prayer. And let me just finish with these two last thoughts. Number one, enjoying God in word and prayer is not meant to be a rigid, constraining idea in your life. We need freshness. We need flexibility. We need to insert um, new ideas into how we're doing that all the time. So I just want to encourage you. Um, It would be such a good thing for you on a regular basis to find a seasoned saint, a mature follower of Jesus, and to ask them, how are you delighting daily through word and prayer. What what are you doing right now? Let me learn from you. Teach me. What are you doing right now that has been particularly meaningful and helpful for you? It's meant meant to to be um, flexible like that, fresh like that. So so make sure you're a constant learner, incorporating new ideas into how you're delighting daily in word and prayer. And here's the last thing. When I think about our next decade together as a church family, I am just so eager for what it is the Lord has for us. Um, I think over the next decade together, um, we as a church are gonna climb a lot of incredible mountains and have a lot of incredible views from the top of those mountains. And as a church, we're gonna walk down into the valley of suffering and it's gonna be painful and hard, but it's coming. So we're gonna see some from the tops of the mountains and we're gonna see a lot from the bottoms of the valley together. But, but through it all, Jesus is going to have this invitation out there to us. Jesus is going to be positioned up there on those mountains, down there in those valleys, and he is going to be saying this to us. I'm waiting for you to come and explore more of me. I'm just waiting for that. From up here or down down here, I am waiting for you in this moment to come and explore more of my vast heart. And if knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a person's heart, to, to thrill your heart and mine, church, may we over the next decade go and get it. Amen? Let's pray together. I want to give you just a moment to allow the spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful and wipe away the things that would not be helpful this morning. And maybe this is a morning where the Lord is showing us that we are stuffing all sorts of temporal things into our souls, hoping that they will satisfy it. If I can just get this next house, if I can just get this next thing, if I can just accomplish that and do this, if I I can just get that 
And God is looking at us this morning and saying, you get it and you're going to feel just as empty on the other side. Maybe the Lord is, is just re-wooing us and reconvincing us that our heart is too vast for temporal things to satisfy it, that only something as vast as God himself can do that, that he really is the bread of life. He really is the, the water and the river of delight. He really is the feast that we all need. So maybe this morning would be a good time to turn from those things that we are banking on to deliver the joy and happiness that, that we crave and to turn freshly back to Jesus. What, what better start could we have to 2020 than that? And for some of us, this is probably the moment where we need to push our lives across the line of faith to come to Jesus, the fountain of life. The bread of life this morning who, who will quench our thirst. And maybe it's that time when we are pushing our lives across the line of faith for the first time saying to God, give me Jesus. I am trusting in the person and work of Jesus. Rescue me, save me, satisfy me. And God just stands so ready to do that. And for the rest of us in the room, you know, our, our lives typically don't change by complete overhauls. They change by taking one or two things and incorporating them into our life. So, so what would be the one or two things you could incorporate with Bible reading in 2020? Delighting daily in the word of God in 2020. What are one or two things you could incorporate as you delight daily in prayer in 2020? God, would you give us clarity on that? Would you show us what it is that we could do? Would you show us what fresh commitments we could make to delight daily in you, our joy-giving God? And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.